The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good evening, everybody. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another episode of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Uh, today's conversation and discussion is contemporary and brings a lot of archaeologists together, especially the new wave of archaeologists who are heavily tuned into social media. Those of us who are a little bit older and grew up in a different time, I think, and, and form a different generation of archaeologists are uh, also getting into uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, one of the topics of our discussion today, blogging in particular. I have recruited and brought into the program uh, two gentlemen who are very uh, hip with it, contemporary, whatever you want to call it, but they are affecting the course and the direction of archaeology in the 21st century, and uh, social media is uh, comprising an increasingly more significant and eventually dominant role in the way the uh, message of archaeology will be transmitted to the public. I think uh, previous programs that we have had have indicated that public support of archaeology and the emergence of the cultural resource management industries are two phenomena that go hand in hand as the funding, uh, pure f funding for pure scientific research starts to wane. And we will see more and more that archaeology will incorporate a much more significant public component. Outreach will become the order of the day. These are uh, facts that we can't ignore. And I think ultimately they are very, very positive developments for archaeology generally. And I would like to bring our two guests into the discussion here because I think they have a lot of important things to say about how archaeology is being practiced now and how it will be practiced in the future. Uh, my first guest is Terry Brock, who is a historical archaeologist and a Ph.D. candidate 
and Anthropology at Michigan State University. He uh, recently accepted a position at the Montpelier Foundation in Virginia as their research archaeologist, and he serves at the uh, Society for Historic Archaeology uh, social media uh, operation, and he is its coordinator. His research interests include plantation archaeology, African-American archaeology, and the study of the Chesapeake area, in addition to, obviously, public archaeology. Um, Terry is interested in the use of digital social media as a means for engaging the public, which is the topic that we will be exploring today. And he has developed a number of social media engagement strategies for various programs, including the Michigan State Campus Archaeology Program, the uh, Society for Historical Archaeology's uh, involvements with social media, and of course he's doing his own res uh, research at Historic St. Mary's City in Maryland. Doug Rocks McQueen has, welcome, has worked as a, an archaeology and cultural resource management in a variety of areas ranging from New Mexico to Scotland. He has extensive experience working with digital media, having run several websites like Open Access Archaeology, which is a major theme right now in, in contemporary archaeological development. And uh, Doug currently blogs on his own personal blog called Doug's Archaeology, which I will say from personal experience seems to be a very fascinating and motivating tool for getting uh, discussions generated, especially among the uh, younger generation of archaeology, uh, of archaeologists. And he covers topics that range from gender equality in archaeology to the uh, monetary structure of the CRM industry. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for appearing on the program. And let me start with you, Terry. Um, you have from your... Uh, CV, I see that you're, you, you are a PhD candidate in anthropology, and I, I'd like to ask you, since it seems to me that you're bridging generations to some degree, how do you, how do you see the, uh, the developments of social media changing the profession, say, in its early stages, and where do you see it going? I'm sorry, Jim. I, I didn't hear the question. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Okay, my question is: since you're uh, pursuing a PhD degree in a traditional avenue, you're studying St. Mary's City. I'm assuming you're doing a lot of historic archaeology. I want to know how you feel that your research and social media get bridged together, and how you see uh, both elements of what you're doing in your PhD and, and, and how you're using the methods of social media to enhance what you're doing in terms of your research. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the social media and my, my dissertation research have, have been, um, they've, they've been separate, but they've worked together. I, I mean, my dissertation is not about social media. You know, it's, it's traditional in, in some ways, uh, but, but it's been my work at Historic St. Mary City at a museum um, and within a department that, that uh, focuses on public, which is where social media has become really a uh, powerful thing for the work that we're doing. So being able to share the research that I'm doing um, with the public uh, and, and engage uh, people that way digitally online, whether it's through blogging or Twitter or, or, uh, or Facebook, that's, that's where it becomes real valuable um, for me, as, as a means of communicating it to the public and other archaeologists as well. It's another good tool. 
I mean, are you seeing this among your cadre of grad students and the people who are starting to go into the profession at this point uh, that they are paying close attention to what's going on in social media, that they're using social media in a sense to disseminate their research results, or are they using it for other reasons just to, uh, for example, to extend public outreach uh, in a practical sense rather than just to si uh, simply disseminate their own research results? Yeah, I think it's both. I think that um, I think that a lot of us recognize that there's a community of archaeologists um, that are on social media, and so to it gives us an opportunity to be a part of that. Um, another way for us to be a part of our professional community. Uh, but then I also think that more and more people are starting to see that it's also an avenue for um, you know cutting out the middleman and, and communicating directly with. Um, with the, the public that, that we serve. I'm curious about that. When you say cutting out the middleman, meaning what, museums or uh, TV, I mean, what, what, are you, what are you talking about in particular here? Yeah, I mean, any, any, anything that, that would seemingly restrict access to, to archaeologists um, that, that may, you know, I can, I, can, I can be in the field with my smartphone um, working on an excavation, then I can take a picture of something that we find and I can post it and anyone can see that picture and anyone can ask me a question um, while I'm in the field. And, and, are, and are you finding that there is an immediate response from people out in, in, in the social media world that even over the course of your excavation or the course of your early interpretive phases that people are actually providing feedback on it? Yeah, I have found that 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 that's the case. Um, it, it definitely happened. The work we were doing at Michigan State with the campus archaeology program, um, which when we started using Twitter out, out there in 2009, I think, so a pretty early early adoption of that technology. And um, and yeah, I mean, we had we had people who would stop by excavations because they'd seen what we were doing on Twitter and wanted to see it in in real life. So. Um, yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely think that there, that people are out there and interested. Um, you know, part of the, one of the tricks is making sure that you can get that you are seen and, and that you're actually visible. So, Doug, uh, you, uh, from from what I'm seeing in your work, you are looking at very broad issues in archaeology. Uh, and are reaching out to a very, very extensive audience in the profession to look at what I would call, for lack of a better word, issues of the day in the profession archaeological community, specifically gender issues, CRM issues, cultural resource management issues. And I see that you're moving in a direction where you really are trying to touch into areas that are affecting practitioners in the sense of, of, of just their livelihoods. Yes. Um, my, my personal blog tends to have, it, it's gone that direction. Um, like many people, when I started my blog, I kind of decided I was going to have a blog and didn't quite know what area I was going to focus on. Um, I had goals about uh, blogging about my PhD research, um, blogging about just archaeology in general. And uh, over the last couple of years, it sort of took on its own theme, and that has been looking at the profession, um, archaeology as a profession. And so I tend to blog about different um, issues that relate to 
the profession. So pay is a tend to be a big one I uh, I blog about just because it's it's such a relevant issue to most archaeologists. It really is, and it's becoming more and more significant. I was just wondering, Terry, are you involved in those issues as well, or is there a compartmentalization where uh, archaeologists are just blogging about sort of almost anything related to the profession? What I'm really trying to get at here is, are there some focal issues that sort of captivate or capture, if you will, the, the contemporary generation of social media archaeologists, which I assume is probably people who are in graduate school more than anything else. Uh, Terry, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I definitely think that there's, um, you know, that the different archaeology bloggers blog about different aspects of the, of the discipline, and they blog for different audiences. So, I, I, I mean, I, I love uh, Doug's website and, and the stuff that, that, the, that he's researching on it. Um, he, his audience is, is different than the audience that I might write for um, when I'm writing a blog at Historic St. Mary City, for example, whereas I'm, in that case, I'm writing for the general public, and my goal is to educate the public about the process of doing archaeology, whereas the stuff that Doug's doing about pay is for the community of archaeologists who are doing archaeology and, and getting paid for it and would probably like to get paid more for it. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that, and we'll be getting into that, I think, in the next segment. But I think one of the really fascinating elements that both of you are bringing out is that uh, for folks in my generation, um, we're just so amazed that there are so many different outlets now for disseminating your information. I mean, I'm of the school where uh, you went to archaeology to do research, and then you got your job as a professor and later as uh, as the generations go by I'm dating myself as as uh, either the owner or manager of a CRM firm and um, that the real issue was how to disseminate traditional information you guys are going way beyond that and I think you're bringing up issues that are related to the maturation of archaeology as a profession, which I think is one of the most significant issues of our day as archaeologists. And I think it brings uh, a couple of clashes in within the uh, archaeological community. And I want to get back to that discussion oh, once we take a break here, and we will be right back with our fascinating discussion on social media and archaeology after these words. Voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? 
If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris. Real talk on business and parenthood, hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story. Coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein, and we're back with our discussion on archaeology, the blogosphere, social networking, and what this means to the general emergence and uh, re- refocusing, actually, of archaeological issues. And uh, over the break, we were discussing, uh, my colleagues and I, we were discussing that there may be sort of a generational divide. Certainly, I'd for- formed that, that provocative point that there is a generation, or possibly is a generational divide, between the folks that, that, that blog and tweet and use Facebook extensively. I thought that, um, I mean, I use it a little bit, but... Uh, the, the gentleman informed me that uh-uh, this is cross-generational. And, uh, Doug, I, I wonder if you would uh, elaborate on that and tell me how um, that, that notion is actually not really very fair to presume because I know that I do, and I'm getting more and more into this, and I'd like your perspective on uh, cross-generational blogging and social media interaction. Yeah, um, well, there is some generational trend, but I do think that it's not necessarily everyone who's younger who's using social media. So a great example um, would be David Connolly, who runs the Badger website in the UK. And he's from an older generation, but he is on Facebook, um, Twitter, he has a forum, a website, all sorts of stuff, and just constantly on social media all the time. I'm friends with him on Facebook, and I follow him on social media, and I'm just amazed at how much he puts out all the time. Um, and then there's also, as you could say, people in more traditional fields, too. So there's Michael Smith, who's a professor at um, a university in Arizona, and he has a blog, Publishing Archaeology, and he's been doing it for years and years, blogging. And so it's not necessarily just newer archaeologists, but it is people who have been doing it for a very long time and who've just sort of gotten into it. And in the same sense, um, I've run into some issues with, as you could call it, the digital natives is the term um, that a lot of people throw throw around for for the younger generation. But it's quite interesting because I work with uh, a lot of undergraduates doing field schools and teaching them how to do archaeology. And some of them just are very basic in their... uh, 
use of social media, some of them have even asked me how to use Twitter because they don't use Twitter. Um, some of them don't even use Facebook. So it's, uh, I think it's a lot more complex than simply along generational lines. I, I think you're uh, probably right. Uh, uh, yes, uh, continue, please. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, I would, I would certainly agree with that. I think, um, you know, as far as working with students, um, you know, we, we ran a blog that students contributed to for one of the for a field school that I co-directed, and, you know, they didn't know how to use it at all. <laughs> and, and they learned how to use it. But, but it's certainly there is an assumption, I think, that the younger generation just sort of naturally knows how to use this technology. And, and I think that that's, that's wrong. This is, a, there's a, this is a skill set. I mean, being able to blog and use social media effectively and to transmit a message um, through social media is a skill set. And it takes practice. And, and there are things you have to learn. You don't just intuit it. And I'm not sure I would argue with that. All I'm saying is, and and you'll have to take a little bit of what I say here to heart, I mean, older people do calcify a little bit, <laughs> and it takes a relearning curve that, and I agree with you, those of us who have worked with computers since uh, since we were graduate students, I mean, we're not, that, we're not that much older, certainly there's a fluidity within the system, and certainly once you get hooked into it, it's hard to put it down. I will agree with that. I, I think you're absolutely right. And um, but, but by and large, if I look at my son, for example, I mean, he's born with this stuff. I mean, it's in, 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 in his genes, and my eight-year-old is teaching teaching me how to communicate through the iPhone. So there's something there, unquestionably. But, but I want to get back to, to Doug for a second here because you are raising issues that are sort of naturally uh, segueing, if you will, into uh, the social media, issues in archaeology that have emerged over the past 20 or 30 years as archaeology has evolved from being an, a purely academic pursuit into a major profession and, and essentially have, has made the, the transition from, uh, again, an academic pursuit into basically part of the commercial world and in which we all live. And those are some of the topics that are naturally, uh, the information for which are naturally transmitted and communicated best through social media. And I'd like you to talk about that a little bit because you've mentioned two issues in particular, gender equality and uh, pay scales within the greater industry. And another issue that I see that you have tackled is one about the National Science Foundation. I'd like you to give that one a whirl and let me know how you think um, social media is transforming our uh, pipeline, shall we say, into that communication and how it's changed some attitudes. I know that's a lot to deal with, but I think it's very, very relevant. Yeah, um, I'll just give... Listeners, a quick background. Um, a little while ago, I ran some numbers on basically National Science Foundation funding, and it was I actually hadn't planned to do it. But when I was looking at the numbers, I kind of found that most of the top recipients of um, grants from the NSF for archaeology, so it's not all of NSF, but they do have similar trends, tend to be men and not so much women. And that's, there's a couple of issues going on there, why that might be. Some of it is there's just not enough applications from women and so forth. Um, but it was very interesting when, so I first posted this on my blog, 
it has got picked up quite a bit in social media as well, and it's kind of feeding back in an interesting way to more, I guess you could call it traditional ways of communicating this information. So a Society of American Archaeology is actually has a task force on this issue, um, and I had no idea that this task force even ex- existed, um, but through social media and so forth and the blog, um, I've gotten to contact with them. So it's one of those things where social media is feeding back to basically your more traditional ways of doing things. So with the SAA, they've put together a committee, and they're going to, I believe, do a report, and they're investigating it, which is, you know, um, for lack of a better word, the very, the more normal route of investigating right. this. yes. And it's now kind of gotten into the social media, and now different people are making suggestions. Um, several blogs have picked it up, and so other people have run with similar things. Um, there's a, several of the blogs have picked up basically gender issues at conferences, and they're noticing some interesting trends where if a woman is in charge of a session, more women apply and put their papers in there. But if a man's in charge of a session at a conference, more men tend to get papers in that session. So it's just these sort of things where people are bouncing off um, ideas off each other, and it's happening a lot quicker than, say, if we were to publish this in a journal and then wait a couple of years for the next article to come out in another couple of years. So, but what you're saying is that the timeline for turnaround is just accelerated so much by social media, and my guess is it reaches a lot more people. Yes. um, Looking at different uh, metrics on blogs and Twitter, it's actually reached quite a well, probably several hundred people um, just in the last couple of weeks, as opposed to what it probably would have reached um, before that, which was probably possibly a couple of dozen people mostly related to the SAA committee on the subject. Let me ask you another question, and this goes to both of you. I mean, uh, Terry, I I suspect you're more associated with the Society for Historical Archaeology, and from what I'm hearing, they are much quicker at the SHA to adopt social media as a primary outlet for disseminating information, uh, whereas the SAA, um, which is, you know, for lack of a better uh, association is more prehistorically oriented, if we want to call it. They're probably a little older and a little less adaptable in terms of moving towards social media. They're doing it, clearly. But is that your feeling as well, uh, Terry? Uh, well, I'm a little biased because I've um, developed an SHA social media program um, back in two or three years ago, and I've been running it so um, ever since. So you're not uh, so- objective, huh? <laughs> Um, so, but I mean, and that, that has to do with buy-in, which, which is a really important element. You know, um, we were able to, um, work with SAJ's leadership. Um, President Paul Mullins was really instrumental in, in making sure that, um, doing social media was something that the organization was going to support and was going to get behind. Um, and, and so that made it, that made it much easier for us to, to start doing social media, um, and and uh, and, tr- and trying to do it effectively, um, and and you know to make it a resource for our membership. That's I mean that's what it's for. It's it's to 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 be a resource for our members um, to help them do their job better. Um, and, and, and I think that's build, yeah. Sorry. Help help build a relationship with their organization that that lasts the whole year. 
um, that isn't just a quarterly journal and, uh, and an annual conference. Um, so really giving them an opportunity to go back and forth with, with us and, and, and to take, you know, use the benefits that, that the membership comes along with. So, yeah, we've, we've just invested time and, and energy into, into making it work. So. Let me, let me pose another question to the two of you before we get to our next break real quickly. Uh, I, I think one of the most fossilized uh, elements of, of what we do and something that really has not changed all that much, even with the advent of the new archaeology and with different uh, emphases on various aspects of our profession that in, in some cases have revolutionized it, we're still seeing these meetings, our annual meetings, assume the same basic format. They're still talking about... Um, there are still lectures that last 20 minutes talking about various topics. Yes, they broadcast the information a little differently because we've gone from uh, manual slides to PowerPoint deliveries. But are we going to see changes where archaeological venues and presentations are going to be completely different? Uh, they're going to not necessarily require people to be together, but they're just going to be Skyped around. Or h How do you see, are the topics going to change? Uh, Terry, why don't you, uh, 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 Doug, rather, why don't you, you weigh in on that? Yeah, um, it's already starting to happen. So this Friday, I'm actually, so I'm actually based in Scotland, Edinburgh at the moment, but I'm traveling down to York to go to a day session, day conference, um, and I will be video recording the talks, and then I'll take the slides and splice them in, and it'll go up online. So people that have not that could not travel, so anywhere in the world, can see the talks and join in the discussion. Um, so that's that's one way things are changing. We've seen a lot more of people video recording and trying to get their talks out to a wider audience. Um, I've also just this last weekend went to a very different sort of meeting than what you'd normally run into. And so it wasn't 20-minute talks. It was 10-minute talks. But it wasn't your traditional, this is my project and this is what I've done. It was actually, you're supposed to talk 10 minutes about how it was a community archaeology conference. So it was how different parts of archaeology can help communities. So it was 10 minutes. Someone talked about science um, and radiocarbon dating and how that could help your community archaeology projects. And so it wasn't 10 minutes about what they did on this one site. It was how we can be used by other projects. And then in the afternoon, there were sessions where you basically went around to sort of round robin and talk to different organizations. Uh -huh. So it, it's, different, it's definitely branching out. We're definitely starting to get different ways of communicating. And then, of course, conferences are now there's the, the Twitter backend is what it's called. Uh -huh. And I think Terry probably could probably speak to that a little better than I can. Okay, yeah, we will... We, we will get back to you, Terry, okay. on that issue, but we have to take a break again, and uh, we will be back right after these words and resume our very fascinating discussion on social media and archaeology when we get back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Living your best life isn't just about fitness and health. It's also about living a better life emotionally and creating balance. You know where you want to be, but what steps do you take to get there? 
Listen to Good Health for a Great Life with host Rick Barnabo. We'll bring you guest experts and tools to help you connect the dots from who and where you are to who and where you want to be. It's time to take responsibility for your life. Listen every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. We are back with a very, very enlightening discussion on social media and archaeology and the new vistas that it opens up. And in some ways, the new lexicons and the new jargons that it inserts into our uh, arsenal of communication, if you will. Um, the guys were talking, my special guests, Terry Brock and Doug uh, Rocks McQueen, uh, were discussing the ways in which information has, and the dissemination of information has changed uh, with the evolution of a relatively, I don't know, what would you call it, a sophisticated social networking infrastructure, if you were, will. And um, I guess it was both Doug and Terry mentioned the Twitter back channel, which is a concept I have never heard of. But as an example, Terry, tell me what that means. Yeah, well, what we were talking about was sort of how, how the conferences were, were changing and how social media was going to affect the sort of traditional idea of a conference. And, and I think one of the things that Doug was getting at and, and that I'd like to emphasize is the idea that conferences, I think, are going to become more open. So I think that there's still going to there's still going to be a geographic location and people are still going to go there. But the things that happen there are going to, the internet is going to allow those things to become more widely available. Um, and, and as Doug was saying, for people to you know come home after a conference and be able to post the content of their talk online in the video format or something like that. And one of the one of the ways this happens at conferences is what's called the Twitter back channel. So. Um, Basically, a hashtag uh, is developed. Um, for the SHA, we do hashtag SHA and then the, the conference. Um, so for the upcoming one in Seattle, it's going to be uh, SHA 2015. And we encourage everyone who's at the conference who uses Twitter to post tweets um, from within sessions using that hashtag. And what that allows people to do is it lets people at conferences communicate back and forth um, and find each other. But it also makes what's happening at the conference public 
So people who, I mean, this was really wonderful when we were in Leicester um, in, in England because uh-huh. it meant that people who couldn't make it um, could still, you know, attend the conference um, and see what was going on. They could um, sort of virtually sit in sessions while people live-tweeted somebody's paper um, and ask questions um, or interact with um, speakers. So I would give a paper, and then I'd sit down after my paper, and I could pull up the back channel, and I could actually see questions people had about my paper, um, and I could answer them. Um, and, this is, and, those people, this, and those people may be in the room, or they may be you know, on the other side of the ocean. So, and this is being done in real time, obviously. Exactly. Yep. That is true. Um, that is that is a major achievement, no question. Yep. So in yep. that connection, Doug, uh, why don't you tell me what the hot button issues are and how they become hot and hotter or cold and cooler um, because of social networking and the blogosphere? Yeah, so I'll use an example from today. Um, basically, Facebook, Twitter, um, and even more traditional things that we don't think about as social media, but there are. So email lists um, have pretty much exploded. So um, there's always been the National Geographic Diggers Program going on in the States, um, which lots of people aren't happy about because it tends to sort of glorify all the bad aspects of digging up the past and very few of the good ones. And National Geographic has just come out with another program. Um, this one it could be argued as an even poorer taste in that it's digging up war graves in Eastern Europe. So they're on the Eastern Front, and basically, uh, from most of the comments I've seen and from the video I've seen, they're, they're basically digging up soldiers' graves and not very respectively. And so that has just been amplified by social media. So uh, there's a bunch of Facebook groups that involve archaeologists, and everyone's talking on that. It's going on Twitter. Some blogs have picked it up recently as well. And now even um, email lists. So I'm part of an email list of archaeologists in New Mexico, and that's made over to there as well. So um, it just moves information so much faster than what we had probably done in the past. Um, I'm sure a lot more people now know about this program and its negative effects in the last day than would probably have ever found out about it until they would have watched the show and then realized it was not the best of shows. And how how much response is there? I mean, what's the nature of the traffic? Do we have any idea what the numbers are in the various social networking uh, venues, if you will? I mean, and how quickly does it catch on? How quickly does it die out? It catches on pretty quick. Um, when people have something to be upset about, uh, they get pretty loud about it. Um, right. And it all and sort of happens all at once. I mean, I was planning on doing something else today, but... Um, I ended up monitoring this this conversation um, for most of a uh, good portion of my afternoon about about the um, the new National Geographic show. So yeah, it, it you know so uh, you know I sort of say the numbers aren't in yet. <laughs> right. It's still, it's still happening. Um, but I do know that you know, from a, the perspective of a professional organization, um, last year when the bigger shows came out, um, or two years ago. I can't remember when it was, but it was two years ago. It was two years. um, Social media provided us with a phenomenal opportunity to communicate immediately with um, with our membership um, because they wanted to know what we were, what what the SHA was doing about you know this issue, Um, and it provided an opportunity for 
our SAJA president to immediately write a blog post and make public the letter that was sent to the organizations who were broadcasting the shows um, and, to, and to, to get that communication out immediately and to provide a context um, and to provide resources for um, membership to, you know, spread the word or, or do whatever, um, whatever's necessary. Um, so social media really, again, from the perspective of a professional organization, really helps raise awareness about those things and to also mobilize. Um, and we did the same thing um, with the, the Why Archaeology Matters um, discussion that happened in the fall and uh-huh. uh, you know, issues of um, you know, NSF funding uh, being cut for social science research and stuff like that um, and trying to use tools like change.org as a means of, of actually right, taking, taking that anger that exists about something related to the archaeology and channeling it into productive, um, productive avenues um, so the people who need to hear our voice can actually hear it. Um, so I think social media, I think, I think this is really a place where, where um, the people who are using social media and blogging um, can really start thinking about, about ways to, you know, not just to be loud, but to, to you know, channel that, channel that noise in some way. Um, well, let me ask, let me pose another question to you, and, and, and Doug, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like you to weigh in on this. Um, okay, so we know that the venue has caught on very quickly. My question to you is, and Doug, you could start and, and Terry pick up on it as well, I'd like to know what are the impacts? Do we have tangible results? If there is an issue that has become a hot buzz button issue, do we have any information from social uh, that social media has actually affected some outputs, some results, and, and resulted in some action? Uh, in other words, translating a furor or a controversy into something where change has actually happened, or is that uh, it's a little hard to judge that one? I don't know. Let me ask you, Doug, first. Yeah. Um, so I, for this one, it's probably a little too early to tell, uh, but it does social media. I'll use some examples of my work, um, not so much controversy, but in the sense that on Twitter, someone will say, you know, someone should do such and such. And so that then gets kicked up or on a blog, someone will make a comment, you know, it'd be a really great idea is if we did this, and then it sort of starts to snowball. It's conversations that might not happen otherwise. So right. uh, in the case, um, we're right now working on putting together an edit-thon for Wikipedia to get more archaeologists putting up uh, quality articles on Wikipedia, and that basically came out of a social media conversation that I'm not sure would ever have happened without it, so it just sort of amplifies and gives more opportunity. Um, I think there, the point does need to be made that, um, and what you sort of are asking about is, does all this noise lead to some things? And yeah, I think it's it's also very notoriously hard to measure social media and its impact. So you, it's really hard to basically when a conversation happens on Facebook. Uh, it sort of tends to stay on Facebook or went on Twitter, it stays on Twitter, and sometimes it breaks across social media things. But it's really hard to see, you know, you can look at your Twitter feed and realize everyone's, you know, very upset about National Geographic. Um, and it's a bit hard to really follow through because that could then happen somewhere else. So 
the change.org um, petition that Terry's talking about for uh, cuts to funding for archaeology. That is something that happens sort of outside of social media, so it's a bit hard to measure did that happen because of social media or does this so social media help it? Um, and it probably differs from every sort of different interaction that you have. Well, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, obviously, in the greater world, we're seeing things like this. Uh, a lot of people were saying that the reason that the Arab Spring caught so much momentum was because of uh, the iPhones, uh, social media, Facebook. And I'm wondering if we're going to see that in various aspects of archaeology as well. I mean, you had brought up some of the, uh, Doug had brought up some of the issues in, in terms of the CRM pay issue, gender equality issues, which we discussed. Uh, what's the next big thing here? Where, where, is, uh, where are we going to go with uh, issues that we think will be galvanized and shaped because of social media and the, uh, the easiness and facility of communication? I, I think access is, is really important. And my, my focus tends to be on public engagement. And, and I, I really think that the, the ability for me as an archaeologist to communicate directly with, um, with non-archaeologists um, and to educate them um, and to answer questions and to let them be a part of the work I do and to take them behind the scenes and, you know, into the lab or onto sites that wouldn't be publicly accessible. I, and I mean, that's sort of been the thing about social media, but I think that's just going to become more and more important um, and valuable. And we will be back with our final segment on this very fascinating theme of social media in archaeology after these words don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Can you dig it, baby? 
listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to indianajonesmythreality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. This is our final segment in this very uh, revealing and eye-opening discussion on archaeology and social networking and blogging and tweeting and Facebooking, if you will. And uh, one of the topics that we discussed over the break was the uh, the opening up, if you will, and uh, the the flushing out of channels for communications and. Um, uh, both Doug and Terry had talked about social media basically being a vehicle for democratizing archaeology, if you will, allowing more and more players in our profession to voice their concerns. And um, I would like for, for you, Doug, to uh, expound on that and tell us a little bit of what democratizing archaeology really is all about. Yeah. Well, with social media, we're now running into a much more level playing field, as it were, to get your voice heard in the wider field. So, I mean, traditionally it used to be if you wanted to get information out outside your small circle of people that you saw day to day, you'd go and you'd go to a print journal and you'd publish some sort of article and stuff. Um, but even then, that had its limits in the sense that not every journal accepts every sort of topic. And so a lot of the topics I talk about um, on my blog, pay, uh, gender equality, would not necessarily make it into some of the archaeology journals in the traditional print way of uh, disseminating information. It just wouldn't be considered appropriate for those venues, even though it affects most archaeologists. Um, and now you see a, a wider range of people getting involved, uh, answering questions, putting out questions for the wider groups. Um, I think the perfect example would be Kelly M., who runs the archaeology of Tomb Raider. Now, she is not an archaeologist, but she really likes archaeology. And so she runs an excellent blog um, that basically is probably one of the best public outreach blogs I've seen uh, hands down almost anywhere, and that. She brings in people. She takes something that's sort of negative, which is Tomb Raider, a video game, in which, as the name implies, you do a lot of raiding of tombs and looting and stuff. Um, but she makes it very positive and brings in a lot of people who are interested in video games into archaeology. And that's something that probably would not have been able to happen 15, 20 years ago because there would have been no outlet for her, someone who doesn't actually have an archaeology degree, to get involved. I think that's a very valid point, and, and I would like to get you guys' feedback on, on another concept here, which is, in a sense, uh, expanding the reach of archaeology to such a degree that we really are starting to consider it an industry. This is an industry, this is a profession, this is a vocation, this is not just a scholarly pursuit. And I'm wondering where each and both of you stand on this, because a lot of the traditionals say will will blow back here a little bit. I don't know how loudly they've done it. I don't 
get the impression that they've done it loudly. But, you know, there are some people who are sort of uh, crying in their journals, if you will, about uh, archaeology being uh, basically um, sort of a more open field. As, as and, and again, this is associated with the emergence of cultural resource and heritage management, that archaeology really has to sort of break out and become sort of a much broader field. What do you guys, what are your thoughts about that? Terry, why don't you start on that one? Because I think that's oh, a key issue. Um, I mean, I think that, I, 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 uh, I think archaeology is an open field. <laughs> uh, we, we have a lot of different parts and, and moving pieces, and, and there are a lot of different ways to do archaeology. Um, I mean, I tend to be a proponent for the more open and transparent our work is, uh, the better it's going to be. Um, but then again, I'm, I'm the guy who's always on social media, so which, mm-hmm. which, is, which is designed to do that. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think Doug might be able to speak a little bit better to that because um, he's worked in multiple areas of the discipline more than I have. Okay. Doug? Yeah. Um, I would say that it definitely is going in that direction. Um, already, if you just look at the numbers... Traditional, I guess you could call academic-based archaeologists, so people based in a university, is now, you know, depending on what country you go to, about five to ten percent of people getting paid to do archaeology. That's and right. This, yeah, there's this huge world of also um, public archaeology. So lots of every state has their own archaeology society. Some states have multiple um, archaeology societies based in cities all over the place. Arkansas is a great example of regional um, public archaeology programs. Florida has their public archaeology uh, network as well. So there's all sorts of people who may not get paid regularly to do it, um, but who are involved in archaeology, and that number just dwarfs the professionals. But going back to professionals, it really is getting to the point where – there's not one track to be an archaeologist. Sure. I mean, years, years ago, it used to be, if you wanted to be an archaeologist, you worked at a university or a museum, and that was pretty much it. And with CRM, we've branched out, and I think we're starting to reach an area where we're going to branch out again. Um, you see a lot more social media, and with social media, you can see things like people putting together YouTube channels and um, basically making their own sort of videos, which not quite on the level of, let's say, National Geographic or History Channel. Sure. But at a certain point, we might reach the point where we actually have um, archaeologists who are trained archaeologists who are actually trained to put on TV shows. Or, I mean, this program is a great example of a radio program by archaeologists for the public um, that, you know, people are starting to branch out into a much different skill set. So to be an archaeologist, you no longer have to just be based in a university and write papers, and you no longer have to, uh, you know, do CRM and dig all the time, Um, though that still takes up most of the jobs. uh, I think we're starting to see it branch out a lot. I think you're right. I think it is moving that way. Yes, Terry. Yeah, well, and I think that that sort of cycles back to what I I mentioned all the way at the beginning of this show, which was about this idea of, of social media being a skill set. And that starts to raise a, important questions about how are we training archaeologists, um, which, of course, is a, is a whole other bag. Um, and you know what? There's been plenty of blog posts recently about that issue, uh, about training archaeologists in general. But 
you know, do we need to start incorporating um, teaching people about digital media and social media into the way that we, in, into, into our training of archaeologists? Um, and so, and so that, that goes can, back. They can do those things. That's right, and it goes back to some of the arguments that we had so many years, well, not, not even that many years ago, uh, where uh, some of us were saying, you know, the, the, the field had changed to the degree that maybe we needed to teach uh, in core curricula for graduate students the business of archaeology. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that has made a little bit of progress. It hasn't made a lot. Uh, but you're thinking one generation beyond that, and that would be digitizing archaeology or social networking archaeology or whatever, however you want to call those course offerings, and I think it is going to have to be incorporated, uh, certainly according to what you guys are saying. I would certainly be a champion of that, and I think it's opening up a lot of opportunity for people to move archaeology into the greater world. And on that note, I'm afraid we're going to have to conclude this program. I want to express my very special thanks to uh, Terry Brock, and Doug Rocks McQueen, who are now sort of in the pioneering phases of social networking and archaeology, and they're probably going to be doing things that we will be talking about in the not-so-distant future about where this profession is heading. So until next time, this is Joe Schuldenrein saying thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you again the same time next week. Thank you so much, and good evening. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.